And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier and welcome to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm your host, Cam Edwards. This is coming to you from the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks so much for being with us this week uh, on the program. We're going to tell you about how you could actually win a farm of your own, a, a beautiful farm, 35 uh, acres uh, outside of Fredericksburg, Virginia. We'll tell you all about it. Apparently you have until October to uh, enter to win this contest. It's a it's a growing phenomenon. People who are not looking at I me, mean, they're looking to get rid of their property, but uh, they don't want to sell it. They want to make sure that whoever gets it is going to uh, appreciate it. So they're trying something different. They're trying essay contests. And yep, there is a, a farm in Virginia that is up for sale or uh, rather for winning. If you can, uh, in a thousand words or less, talk about uh, why you should own that farm. We'll also uh, talk tomatoes again. We uh, We have... Some answers as to what's going on in the garden. Nothing good, mind you, but we do have some answers. Uh, and I got to say, well, we'll also talk about a, a road trip that I took into southwestern Virginia this past week. We'll get to some of your thoughts on the uh, program this week. But I got to say, I'm feeling uh, it's kind of an unusual feeling. It's, it's, it's rare, actually, I think, uh, these days. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling happy. And that's okay. I'm going to let myself feel happy. I know the world is full of awful people doing awful things, and it seems like it's getting worse each and every day. I know that there are countless reasons every time you log on to your computer to be outraged and upset and angry and depressed or whatever other emotion. But you know what? I'm, I'm aware of all of those things. I'm still choosing to be happy. Granted, it's a, it's a little bit easier uh, to be happy than uh, ordinarily my eldest daughter is home for a visit. So uh, if this uh, week's edition of 40 Acres in a Fool is a little bit shorter than usual, uh, it is only because I asked her if she wanted to hang out, you know, with Dad, do the podcast thing, and she said, no, it's all right, I, nah, I'll pass. I'll pass. She'll listen uh, instead. So uh, so I'm doing the podcast. Missy e is uh, hanging out with uh, our oldest daughter and the rest of the kids, and uh, I will be joining them shortly uh, for family game night and uh, a couple of days of, uh, rest and relaxation with most of my kids. Not that I'm going to give my oldest son a guilt trip or anything. I don't think he listens to the show on a regular basis anyway, so it wouldn't be a very effective guilt trip. But uh, oldest son uh, is not coming home this weekend, even though his sister <clears throat> is in from uh, Oklahoma, and it's just you know a few hours drive for my oldest son. But whatever, he's you know he's uh, he's at the age where he's making plans of his own and. He's got his own life to live, so I'm not going to give him too hard a time, at least on uh, on this particular podcast. I'm not going to give him too hard a time. It is kind of weird, though. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to celebrate uh, a birthday coming up here in a couple of days. I am turning 41. I made no mention whatsoever of my uh, 40th birthday last year. We did not do a big celebration. In fact, we didn't have a celebration at all. I celebrated in my own way, and it was fantastic. Uh, but I'm getting ready to turn 41, and it's it's... It's weird because most of the uh, the friends that I have who are my age, maybe a couple of years younger, a couple of years older, uh, most of their their kids are not uh, out of the house yet. <laughs> Far from they're not even driving yet, uh, and yet at the age of uh, forty one, I'll go ahead and round up. 
even though I'm not quite there yet. I've got a few more days, but I'll go ahead and round up. At the age of 41, uh, my oldest daughter is 28, and my oldest son is 23. Uh, they are not only out of the house and living their own lives, but uh, they are, are, you know, they've been, it, for, for some years now, uh, they have been productive members of the workforce. Uh, they have been adults and on their own. And I will say sometimes it's, uh, it's odd to have this perspective uh, of someone that's, uh, you know, typically much older uh, than me, because look, here's the thing, uh, unless I started making babies at the age of 12, there's really no way that uh, even at the age of 41, my oldest daughter should be uh, 28, getting ready to turn 29, right? It just, it, it, it doesn't work. And that's not what happened. Uh, you know, I, I got married when I was, uh, day before I turned 23. Uh, so yes, I'm getting ready to celebrate a wedding anniversary as well. 18 years, as a matter of fact. Uh, so our, uh, Marriage has survived into adulthood, I suppose. But when I got married, you know, my wife, nine years older than me, uh, and a single mom of two, a, a beautiful daughter who was 11, a, a beautiful son who had turned uh, six just a couple of months previous, and 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 there's me, instant dad, uh, at the age of 23. Over the years, you know, I've, I've had to... Uh, explain uh no this is not my girlfriend this is my daughter um the the the, you know the fact that i'm white my oldest kids are biracial my wife is white uh that raised some eyebrows as well and you know what didn't get a lot of questions got a lot of stupid comments um actually i wouldn't even say a lot of stupid comments but i've gotten uh, our share of stupid comments over the years there there's no such thing as uh, dumb questions but there are dumb statements uh, that, that certainly is the uh, case. Anyway, I, you know, I was just thinking about this as we're getting ready to celebrate, uh, our anniversary and my birthday and talking with my daughter when she arrived home and, uh, her talking about her plans for the future. It's, uh, I gotta say, you know, to my friends out there who are parents of, uh, elementary school age kids, or, or even those of you who, uh, may be sinking into the depths of adolescent angst uh, with one or more of your kids. It, it can it can be a uh, a long journey at times, right? But I'm telling you, when you're able to sit and talk with your adult children uh, about grown up things, and and you're you're proud of them, they've made a a, a good life for themselves. They've got a good head on their shoulders. Uh, there is truly no better feeling in the world than as a parent talking to one of your kids and knowing they can take care of themselves. Not only can they take care of themselves, but that they're good people. You know, that that is an incredible feeling and a, a wonderful feeling to know that uh, the kids that you helped raise are just good people. And, uh, I was reminded of that again when I was talking to my daughter this afternoon that, uh, she's good people, which is not to say by the way, that we agree on everything and, or, or that we agree on, uh, a lot of things. We don't actually, you know, my daughter is a good person, but she is a very different person than I am. But, you know, getting back to happiness, 
And the anger, more, more importantly, getting back to the anger that we see here, we are just ripping each other apart now, aren't we? I mentioned this on the last week's podcast, the, uh, the vitriol and the bile uh, that is present uh, certainly in uh, my Twitter feed and uh, social media feed. And it's, it's, you know, it's been another pretty hellacious week about that, right? Not only do we despise people who are different than us, we despise people who are very, very similar to us. Now, I mean, if you don't agree 100%, then you, sir, you, madam, you're despicable. You're a disgrace. You are worse than the pond scum accumulating on uh, the surface of, well, ponds and such. Anyway, uh, you know, it just, it's exhausting uh, to be pissed off all the time. And everybody around you, those who, uh, who who you disagree with 100% of the time, those who you disagree with 50% of the time, those who you disagree with 5% of the time, still going to be outraged. I, not only is it exhausting, I think it's counterproductive, to be quite honest with you. I mean, do you know of anybody who has ever been convinced of the error of their ways uh, by being told that they're an a-hole, right? Or, or, or to expand this, has uh, any... Uh, a third party ever been swayed to one side or the other because, of, well, you know, that's a pretty good insult over there, right? Uh, it just doesn't happen. So I think, you know, you have much better luck uh, swaying people if you're actually having a conversation with them, treating them like a human being uh, rather than calling them names. But even beyond that, you know, it's actually possible, it is, believe it or not, possible uh, to have warm feelings towards somebody with whom you disagree on many things. Uh, you know, I learned this lesson actually very early on uh, as the uh, host of NRA News Cam and Company, which, gratuitous plug here, you can uh, catch weekdays, 2 p.m. Eastern, live on nranews.com, on demand all the time at uh, iHeartRadio and on uh, iTunes as well, and on the NRA app, I should mention. Uh, anyway, very early on in my tenure as host of uh, NRA News Cam and Company, I learned that not every gun owner looks like me. Not every gun owner feels like me. Not every gun owner thinks like I do about issues. Uh, and that is okay. That is absolutely okay. What I want to do with uh, my show and what I need to do as host of NRA News Cam and Company, again, I learned this very, very early on, was that I need to be able to talk with gun owners about what was important to them, their Second Amendment rights. Now, um, and, and other freedom-related issues. Now, so those freedom-related issues, sometimes people, uh, the, the audience and I may disagree on some things. That's fine. I respect them. They respect me. We respect our differences of opinion. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it was the second or third day I was on the air. I, I got a, um, a talk back or a, a you know, instant message from uh, one of our listeners in San Francisco, uh, who was uh, described herself as, uh, I can't really, I feel embarrassed actually saying what she described herself as, but uh, she was a lesbian and I'm not embarrassed about that. It was the very descriptive way in which she, uh, talked about, uh, being a lesbian, that uh, still kind of makes me blush a little bit. But she said, you know, look, um, remember that I'm a gun owner too. And and I, I want to feel comfortable uh, when I'm listening to this new show about our Second Amendment rights. And, you know, ever since then, I 
am conscious of the fact that um, I want, I need to host a show uh, that uh, keeps in mind the fact that there is no monoculture of gun owners in the United States. There's just not. You want to look at who a gun owner is? Go to the mall. Look around. Uh, look around your office. Look around your doctor's office, your dentist's office, the supermarket. Really, that's that's the American gun owner right there. Uh, and American gun owners are going to disagree on a lot of things. There are Democrats. There are independents. There are Republicans. There are however you want to hyphenate us as Americans. There are gun owners in that hyphenated group of Americans, right? And no matter where we as gun owners may disagree on a variety of issues, it's when we speak as that one voice as gun owners that, uh, that we really make a difference. Uh, and the, the media hates it. The uh, anti-gun activists hate it. <laughs> they do. They, they, they hate it when the big tent of gun ownership uh, rears its head and raises its voice. Uh, they try to belittle it. They try to proclaim that it's not a big tent. They try to say that, oh, no, it's just a bunch of uh, old white beer-bellied guys. And you know what? Old white beer-bellied guys are a group of Americans who own firearms. But so are young women in their 20s. So are Hispanic Americans. So are, you know, again, any group that you can think of, <laughs> you're going to find gun owners in it. Uh, and having that expectation or having that realization, uh, you know, pretty early on, in my life and in my professional career at NRA news and getting to know gun owners from all different walks of life with uh, a lot of different experiences and a lot of different opinions and a lot of different attitudes has certainly made my life uh, richer. And I've gotten to know again, just a, a so many good people um, who disagree with each other on all kinds of things. Uh, but we come together on that, uh, that one common issue of the right to keep bear arms. Maybe we come together on a couple of other issues, but I think that's generally speaking how we actually function with one another in a day-to-day, face-to-face uh, environment, right? We don't require 100% agreement from uh, our friends or our family members, our, our spouses or our significant others, the people that, or, or the person at the grocery store, Right. Uh, or the, 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 the guy that you talk to at the convenience store after you fill up your car. Right? We don't require, we don't, we don't shout insults at them uh, if we see a differing bumper sticker uh, when we're at the gas station, for example. Right. Or at least I hope we don't. Or when we pull into the grocery store and we see somebody's got the, uh, the Obama sticker. Like we don't, we don't, you know, key their car. And no, 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 we don't do that. I mean, even if you think someone has some bad ideas uh, or even a lot of bad ideas, and when you get up into the uh, all of their ideas are wrong, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult to uh, to talk with them and to uh, relate to them as a person. But uh, even if you disagree with someone, you know, eighty percent of the time, um, you can generally find that that common source of humanity, right? Uh, it what allows you to deal with somebody again as an individual, uh, as opposed to uh, characterizing them, uh, stereotyping them, uh, wishing death uh, on their family members or wishing death on them because you disagree with a position that they hold. And yeah, I'm thinking of a couple of these uh, anti-gun activists uh, who were wishing death on 
people like me last week. Uh, now, see, that's the thing. So you can disagree with somebody on a lot of issues and you can still get along with them, right? You can also agree with somebody on a lot of issues and find them to be an a-hole. Uh, and you, obviously, you know, you can disagree with people on issues and if that that if someone's being an a-hole about it, uh, then yeah, it's going to be really hard to, you know, want to talk politely with them. And I get that. I do. But the problem is the person is an a-hole, not the opinions that the a-hole holds, if that makes any sense. Anyway, I'm glad that uh, my daughter's not an a-hole. Uh, I'm really glad of that. We uh, were able to talk and get along just fine uh, with our, uh, even with our differences of opinion. And it is fantastic to have my oldest daughter at home. It does put a smile on my face. It does make me happy. And no, I will not apologize for that. Now, we do have to take a uh, time out here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. When we come back, we're going to talk about a road trip to southwestern Virginia. I took another reason. I have a, a smile on my face. I love to get behind the wheel of the car and uh, head out and explore places that have never been. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about tomatoes as well a little bit later on in the uh, program. Get some of uh, your thoughts via email. The email address is, as always, 40acrefool, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. And you would think, why would a former national security advisor risk his clearance and, in fact, his freedom to stuff a bunch of documents in his socks after the Clinton presidency Unless there was some stuff in there that would be, uh, what would we say? Legacy damaging, I think would be the best way to put it. Legacy damaging. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool. I am still your host, Cam Edwards. Uh, another reason I said why I, I feel good this week, why I feel happy this week, I got a chance to uh, go explore the state that I live in, and I, I, I would strongly encourage you, I hope that you have that same uh, exploring bug that I do, just, you know, to, to explore the area in which you live and to push a little bit beyond the the uh, the borders and the boundaries of where you live. Um, state of Virginia is, I'm really blessed to live in the state of Virginia because it is so varied and it's a huge flipping state. So there's a lot to explore. Uh, but no matter where you live, even, even tiny Rhode Island, I'm sure that there is a town that you haven't visited before that, uh, you could take an afternoon and, uh, go and, and see and explore and you never know what you're going to find there. So I did a one day road trip uh, into southwestern Virginia. Would have liked to have taken two, but just didn't have the time. It's, you know, the wrong time of year. But uh, Miss E was lovely and said, go. Go for a day. So I said, all right, thank you. And uh, I headed off on my merry way. I wanted to get down to the uh, Cumberland Gap, the very edge uh, of Virginia. Didn't make it that far this time. So I'm going to have to make another trip, uh, hopefully in the fall. 
But I did make it to some pretty cool places, uh, even if I didn't make it to the Cumberland Gap. So uh, headed out through Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a great road trip, by the way. If you're if you're anywhere in the state of Virginia or near the state of Virginia, I'm going to describe some places that uh, I would strongly encourage you to visit. First of all, it's a just from the state of Virginia itself is just a beautiful state. Um, I've yet to find the ugly part of Virginia, except maybe the you know the. Uh, sprawling suburbs of Northern Virginia. But really, once you get out beyond that, um, the state of Virginia is just absolutely beautiful. You could spend a week in the Shenandoah Valley uh, area. You could spend a week in the Tidewater area. You could spend a week in Southside. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic state. Uh, but Southwestern Virginia, I hadn't really explored that much. So I had my itinerary. I wanted to, uh, there, were, there were a couple of things that I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, go to the Floyd Country Store in Floyd, Virginia. Uh, which is a old country store, and they play uh, they have, uh, play host to um, classic mountain music, you know, the, the old-time country music. And so I wanted to go there. Uh, I wanted to go to Hillsville, Virginia, in the Hillsville Diner, which I have been told is home to the best chili dogs in the state of Virginia. Uh, I wanted to go to Marion, Virginia, and the uh, distillery store for uh, Appalachian Mountain Spirits. And then I wanted to uh, hit Salem, Virginia, and uh, go see a Salem Red Sox game. I got three out of the four in, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, the Hillsville Diner, just so you know, if you're heading out there, yeah, closed on the weekends, uh, Monday through Friday, according to the uh, internet. So did not get my chili dog, but that is okay. That is all right. I uh, I, I did make it to Floyd, which is uh, southwest of Lynchburg, Actually, it's way southwest of Lynchburg, now that I think about it. It's southwest of Roanoke in the Salem area, uh, and it is in the Virginia Highlands, and it is, it's a, it's a cool little funky little town. There was a festival going on outside of town called, yep, Floyd Fest, uh, that I, I didn't even know was going on, uh, wouldn't have known that it was going on. There was, there's not Woodstock we're talking about here. They, there were no traffic tie-ups or things of that nature, but it's a funky little town. There, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, funky little people <laughs> living in the funky little town and visiting the funky little town. I uh, had some sort of organic chimichanga at some uh, crunchy restaurant that was okay. But the Floyd Country Store was pretty cool. Uh, and I got to say, I don't know the name of the uh, the pair who were singing, but uh, it was an older lady and gentleman, and they were amazing. They were fantastic. She was doing Patsy Cline. Uh, singing uh, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain by Willie Nelson. A lot of Willie Nelson, actually, because he did Crazy, which was Patsy Cline, but it was written by Willie Nelson. Uh, anyway, just a, a, it was a fantastic uh, cover band. You, you recognized every song that they played, uh, at least if you have uh, or had parents who uh, who listened to old-time country music when you were growing up. You listened to every, you, you recognized every song that uh, this band played. And uh, it was a great little store. They, uh, I picked up a book on uh, Ralph Peer, who was uh, one of the guys who uh, worked for the record labels uh, back in the 1920s and, and really helped to create uh, roots music, created, uh, uh, first started recording what would become country and western, uh, as well as blues and jazz artists. Uh, he was a fairly important figure. So anyway, I picked up a, a book on Ralph Peer from the little bookstore that they have there in the Floyd Country store. Uh, very crowded actually for lunch. So I, like I said, I ate my 
organic chimichanga, uh, which did, I have to say, travel fairly well. And then I uh, headed back out on the road uh, and uh, made it to Marion. Now, here's the thing. Uh, from uh, Floyd, Virginia to Marion, Virginia, you've got to cross Interstate 81. And the uh, GPS will tell you if you have a GPS. It'll tell you to get on Interstate, I think it's 75 or 77. Um, I would, I, that was a bad choice for me to make because as soon as I hit the interstate in the middle of nowhere, I was in bumper to bumper traffic. I kid you not. Soon as I got on the interstate. So three miles down the road and about 15 minutes later, I finally exit the interstate. Now I still have to get from middle of nowhere to Marion, Virginia, which is, uh, you know, probably 40, it's not very far as a crow flies, maybe 40 miles. The problem is I'm in the Virginia Highlands. Uh, you've got to cross several mountains to get there, and there are only so many roads. So I abandoned my GPS, and I uh, broke out my actual atlas of Virginia roads, and I found all of the various little two-lane back roads that I would need to take to bypass the interstate. And it was going to take a little bit longer, but that was okay. And it really was okay. I didn't get lost, and I uh, navigated my way down uh, through this uh, one particular valley with the the rolling hills and uh, corn, big green stalks of corn, seven, eight feet high under an emerald blue sky. And then you'd have the gold hills with the uh, uh, dying grass uh, and uh, the, the cattle there just uh, on the hillside. And not a lot of old farms I noticed in uh, southwest Virginia. Not a lot of old, old farm homes, I should say. A lot of old farms. Um, but this area was so poor for so long that I don't think there were a lot of homes worth saving, to be quite honest with you. And I noticed that. I, I acknowledged that as I uh, was driving through this uh, this beautiful land, which has always been uh, also one of the uh, the, the poorest uh, parts of this nation, at least in terms of financial wealth. Uh, but I finally navigated my way to Marion, Virginia, and the uh, home of the Appalachian Mountain Spirits. I got to say, uh, if you if you are a, a, a drinking sort, uh, I would recommend, and I've, I've never met anybody associated with the Appalachian Mountain Spirits. I have a lot of respect for the guys. Uh, uh, Mash Shoemaker there in Marion, who uh, is the, the owner of Appalachian Mountain Spirits. But um, I ran across them in my local uh, ABC stores, what we have in Virginia. They make a whiskey, Warhorn Whiskey. And I was intrigued by the military theme of Warhorn Whiskey. As it turns out, uh, Scott Shoemaker uh, named Warhorn Whiskey after the uh, 32nd Signal Corps Battalion. They would uh, shout, uh, sound the war horns when they would uh, stop at the uh, main gates of their base in Iraq. Uh, Scott Shoemaker's brother, William Sean Shoemaker, Lieutenant Colonel William Sean Shoemaker was the final commander of the uh, 32nd Signal Corps Battalion. He passed away uh, within a year after retiring, and uh, Scott Shoemaker named Warhorn Whiskey, again, in honor of his brother and those uh, who have served with pride, honor, and as uh, Appalachian Mountain Spirits says, the willingness to put themselves in harm's way. From the battlefields of Gettysburg, Normandy, the conflicts known by only those that were there in the jungles, deserts, and mountains when fear is replaced by doing whatever it takes 
Uh, that's who they have dedicated this whiskey to. And I got to say, it's really good whiskey. They do pretty good moonshine uh, as well. So uh, they've got a distillery store there in downtown Marion, which is a uh, cool, funky little town. And it was kind of quiet on a uh, Saturday afternoon, about five o'clock when I stopped in. But uh, the folks in the distillery store were were very nice. And uh, no, I did not have a tasting. They do have a tasting room there, but uh, I was my driver. So I did not partake in the tasting. I, I've had Again, the Warhorn whiskey. So I bought uh, a bottle of uh, Revelation, which is the name of their single malt uh, corn whiskey. And uh, bought uh, some moonshine as well uh, called the uh, Back of the Dragon. It's an honor of, and this is a road trip. This is another road trip I got to take. So Highway 16 between Marion, Virginia and Tazewell, Virginia is called the Back of the Dragon. Uh, because it is so twisty, turny, windy road, you, you go over three different mountains in order to get to Tazewell from Marion, which is not, again, as the crow flies, particularly far. Uh, you're driving uh, straight north from Marion to Tazewell, but uh, you're doing a heck of a lot of switchbacks over these roads or over these mountains. And so they call that the back of the dragon. They have a uh, apparently a ride once a year that I did not know about until I went to Marion this weekend. So uh, I'll be heading back because I have to do the back of the dragon ride. Uh, so I, I, I picked up my spirits literally and uh, figuratively at, uh, the, at the, uh, Appalachian mountain spirits distillery store there in Marion. And then I uh, headed North towards Salem, uh, for the Salem Red Sox game, taking on the Potomac nationals from Northern Virginia. I used to go to the Potomac nationals games when I would live in the suburbs of DC. And, uh, uh I got to see them as the visiting team, on a uh, gorgeous Saturday evening, I arrived about uh, 10 minutes or so after the game started. By the time I got there, I uh, grabbed my seat. Actually, I grabbed my hot dogs, and uh, then I grabbed my seat. And my first minor league baseball game of the year, finally. Uh, it, it only took until after the All-Star break for me to get my first uh, minor league baseball game of the year. But uh, but it was worth it. And then uh, headed home from there on a uh, – left about 10 o'clock, 10.30 and uh, made it home, you know, a few hours later. So it was a, it was a very long day, uh, and it was several hundred miles of driving. But I got a chance to explore some more great small towns. I had the opportunity to meet uh, several great people and to learn about uh, many more. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm already planning my trip back to southwestern Virginia. There is something about those mountains. There is something about... The uh, the history there. There's something about the 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 people uh, that you find there that uh, I don't know. I want to go back, and uh, when I do, I'm gonna actually uh, email uh, Scott Shoemaker and see if I can get a distillery tour there of the uh, Appalachian Mountain Spirits Distillery, uh, which is apparently right outside of Mary. And they've got their distillery store, but then they also have their actual distillery. Uh, and they give tours there. So that's on my next trip. But uh, you know, in the meantime, uh, if you need to pick up your spirits, <clears throat> I know a good place in uh, Marion that you should check out. All right, when we come back here on this edition of 40 Acres of the Fool, last week I was uh, talking tomatoes, the trouble with our tomatoes. Uh, asked for your advice, your help. We will share some of your comments right after this quick break here on 40 Acres and a Fool. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards. On the Blaze Radio Network. 
Jay Severin. By the way, you want to know why Donald Trump is so popular? Hillary Clinton is why. Bill Clinton is why. McConnell is why. Rhinos are why. Lindsey Graham is why. John McCain is why. One of the great ironies of our time, ladies and gentlemen, is that John McCain is complaining about Donald Trump. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm your host, Cam Edwards. Don't forget, you can check out NRA News Cam and Company, uh, sponsored by Nosler, each and every weekday, live 2 p.m. Eastern on nranews.com. Also, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific, on Sirius XM Patriot 125, on demand from the NRA app, and on iHeartRadio. You can also download us on iTunes as well. And uh, not that it matters, not that it matters, but uh, just in case you were wondering, I, I do have reason to believe I've not spoken with uh, Scott Shoemaker from uh, Appalachian Mountain Spirits, but I do have reason to believe that uh, he is a Second Amendment supporter. Uh, when I was in the distillery emporium there in uh, downtown Marion, Virginia, I did notice a, a sign uh, that was available for sale uh, said the Second Amendment. America's original Homeland Security. Yep, it was one of those signs, and it was uh, available for sale there in the uh, Appalachian Mountain Spirits Distillery Store. So, again, I don't know for sure, but it appears the proprietors do not have a problem uh, with that sentiment being expressed since they uh, are displaying it there there, uh, on the premises. All right, speaking of uh, premises, uh, last week we were talking about what's going on on our uh, premises there, the 40 Acres. And the trouble that we're having with our tomatoes, and the problem has only gotten worse over the past week. Uh, over on the north side of the garden, the side that wasn't doing all that well to begin with, yeah, we've, yeah, they're dead. Uh, we've got two beds that are just dead. With the uh, the beds on the south side of the garden, um, they're in better shape, but no one is really in great shape. Uh, our Arturo wrote in and said, uh, Cam, besides having the hogs and amending with compost, are there any differences in contour between the north and south sides of your garden? Is the north side higher in elevation than the south side? Is your uh, garden on a slight grade? Uh, if the north side is higher than the south side, Arturo says, uh, perhaps water is not being held by the soil long enough for a best utilization by the plants. Uh, you could solve that problem, Arturo says, with swales. Uh, not whales, by the way, swales. Uh, they also help manage water runoff under heavy rain. I don't even know where we would put a whale in our garden, quite frankly. Uh, Arturo, now that I think about it, the uh, north side of the garden is actually slightly lower in elevation than the south side. Uh, so there is a, a a little bit of a grade, not a great deal, um, but the uh, the grade would actually be the other way around, that the north side would, would be more apt to get uh, that, that water runoff uh, than the south side. Arturo says uh, soil amendments can make a huge difference if your soil is heavily depleted, and those soil amendments can last several seasons depending on the crops and the quality of the amendments. We saw a great improvement in uh, size and yield when we switched from in-ground beds to raised beds filled with purchased soil specifically for vegetable gardens on our suburban lot. Yeah, and that's what we've tried to do. Uh, you know, we did actually have our soil tested, Arturo, when we first bought the uh, the the farm that sounds kind of weird but anyway when we first purchased the uh, the 
the homestead there. We did have our soil tested. We actually didn't need to amend the soil, which was uh, pretty amazing. Now, we have, again, added compost to all of our raised beds uh, at least once. And we try to do it every season. This is our third growing season. So most of them have gotten compost twice. Um, not every, again, not every bed got compost, uh, this go around. And, and I don't know if that's the difference or not. I mean, I'm still kind of on the fence. I did figure out though, uh, what's going on with the tomatoes and, uh, it's not good. Unfortunately, um, tomato blight is what is going on with my tomatoes all of my tomatoes. Now, you know, we've we've seen in growing seasons past blossom in rot on uh, some of our plants, but but not tomato blight. And so we were slow to identify and unfortunately uh, probably actually ended up spreading the blight throughout our tomatoes. Uh, so blight, and there are a couple of different uh, kinds of blight, but um, it basically it's a disease that uh, attacks the, uh, the the fruit, the uh, foliage, the stems. Um, fruit's sort of the last to go, but uh, the, the foliage, the leaves, the stems, they're going to start to wilt. Uh, they're going to die. Uh, according to tomatodirt.com, uh, it's most evident during early to mid-season. Okay, that that's what happened with ours. Most common in humid weather, and it has been incredibly humid, uh, this summer in our area, and it often strikes after a period of heavy rainfall, which uh, it did. We were, in fact, originally, again, we thought that's what it was, just simply too much rain. Um, no. So tomatodirt.com says the best control measure for tomato blight is prevention. Oh, okay, great, thanks. Uh, they say, though, uh, remove and destroy infected leaves. Be sure to wash your hands afterwards. And this, I think, is where we screwed up big time because we would go through and we would pick off the dead leaves, and then we would move on to the next tomato plant, and we would put our hands there on the leaves to look to see if there were any dead leaves, and I think we probably ended up spreading the tomato blight uh, throughout our garden. So the name of the show is 40 Acres and a Fool, and that was uh, the f- most foolish thing that uh, we have done in the garden this growing season. We... uh inadvertently spread the tomato blight. So uh, tomatodirt.com says, uh, here's how you can try to reduce uh, the chances of getting tomato blight in the first place. They say you can rotate your crops. Early blight remains active for a year. Spores can be dormant in the soil for several years. Well, we've done that, actually. Uh, We we do rotate throughout the beds, uh, and so we don't have tomatoes in the same beds that they were in last year. Plant disease-resistant hybrids to strengthen your plant's chances of being blight-free. Well, we didn't do that. We uh, don't usually grow hybrids. We usually grow the uh, the heirloom tomatoes. Plant tomatoes in a raised bed to improve drainage and prevent diseases from spreading. Okay, well, that would have worked great because we have raised beds. But uh, <clears throat> it was human error that actually caused that transmission. Uh, give tomato plants extra space, more than 24 inches, to let air move among leaves and to keep them dry. Probably also something that uh, we didn't do, uh, particularly in the side of the garden that uh, things are actually growing well in. Uh, I would say rather than 24 inches between plants, we probably have closer to maybe eight or nine, 
So, uh, yeah, the tomato plants are a little crowded, and that does mean that the leaves are going to stay wet, and apparently that is going to increase the chances of blight. Uh, water the soil, not the plants, to prevent splashing. Yep, we do that. That's uh, definitely a, uh, a not, not just will help you with blight, but it will help you with uh, burning uh, your leaves to a crisp, depending on what time of day you like to water. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you can't, uh, you got to do it whenever you can, right? But if you're watering in the middle of the day, you really want to make sure you're getting the soil not the actual leaves of the plants because uh, that hot sun baking those uh, wet leaves can lead to big problems for you. Uh, They say mulch with black plastic or landscape fabric to prevent fungus from spreading up onto leaves. Okay, well, we didn't do that either. Stake tomato plants for better circulation. We did stake, well, we didn't stake them actually. We uh, we Florida fenced this year, but, uh, you know, same premise. Uh, And then they say remove and destroy affected plants at the end of the season. Okay, well, we'll be doing that. Uh, if you uh, do have tomato blight, tomatodirt.com would like you to know that uh, you can treat the tomato blight organically with copper spray, uh, apply until the leaves are dripping once a week and after each rain. Uh, they do point out, though, that once blight is present and progresses, it becomes more resistant to biofungicide and fungicide. So... They say uh, treat it as soon as possible and on a schedule. So uh, we need to get the uh, the copper spray. We uh, do not have that yet. Again, several of the tomato plants are dead. Um, they're all producing, the ones that are alive anyway, uh, they are all producing. And so we have been busy canning um, uh, tomato sauce, whole tomatoes. The, uh, the cucumber is doing uh, quite well. And uh, we've pickled uh, we did some uh, bread and butter pickles. Then we did just some uh, some regular dill pickles. And uh, those have been going over the past few weeks. I actually got to crack open the jar of pickles this week and have a wonderful dill spear from the uh, garden. So that was fantastic. So we are getting stuff. Um, but, you know, when you learn that it was your mistake, it was your screw-up that uh, that led to these tomato plants doing worse, uh, and worse and worse that uh, it's a it's a very humbling and kind of embarrassing uh, admission but one of these years one of these years we are going to have a garden that grows with no problems at least that's what I tell myself I think it's much more likely that uh, every year something different will uh, will be screwed up I was having this conversation with uh, Missy again uh, earlier this week as we were out there and we were uh, we had figured out what this was at this point, and we were uh, then just trying to eradicate some of the, uh, the the worst of the plants. And you know, Misty was a little bummed uh, about what was going on. I, I am too, but you know, I explained and reminded her that uh, every year that we've been growing stuff, we've made a mistake of some sort, right? But we have not repeated these mistakes. That's the key. We're making new mistakes, and we are learning from them, hopefully. I mean, that's the key, right? We all make mistakes. It's uh, what we do after we've made those mistakes that that matters. All right, when we come back after a, a quick timeout here on 40 Acres in a Fool, we're going to tell you about the couple in the state of Virginia who is uh, putting their farm not up for sale, but uh, they're, I, I guess, giving it away in a contest. Uh, with a very small entry fee compared to the price of a house, anyway, uh, you could possibly 
win a 35-acre farm. Uh, not too terribly far from our nation's capital, but uh, far enough that uh, uh, you're, you're definitely outside of the Beltway and in the real world. Uh, we'll talk about this and the growing number of properties that are up for grabs around the country when we come back here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stew. Thinking this has more to do with something called, again, jihad, or he does this in the name of Islam or uh, Allah. We don't want to call it that, though. We're going to say it's uh, domestic terrorism because everything that happens within America is domestic, even though this guy is a Kuwaiti-born Jordanian. I am so sick of it. Kuwaiti-born Jordanian Chattanooga. Pat and Stew, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks so much for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. And uh, who knows, maybe you could have a podcast called 35 Acres and a Fool. Uh, The Blaze actually had this story not long ago. The uh, story of Randy Silvers and his wife, Carolyn Berry who uh, run Rock Spring Farm in Essex County, Virginia. It's about 100 miles south of uh, Washington, D.C. And Randy has been there uh, for the last 20 years or so. He uh, bought the place with his late wife. Uh, And Randy is uh, getting a little bit older. Uh, Randy has rheumatoid arthritis. And running a farm is becoming harder and harder for Randy to do. We uh, talked with WAMU and said, uh, I, I can do it for about five minutes. Uh, I can, can't swing a hammer like I used to. He said, I can do it for about five minutes, and I'm in such pain, I can't do it anymore. And I don't want to have the farm fall apart and then get rid of it. I'd rather have the contest now while the farm is in good shape and I'm in good enough shape to keep it up. What is this contest that uh, Randy mentions? Well, uh, Randy and his wife are uh, going to give the farm to the winner of an essay contest. 200 bucks is the entry fee. They're hoping to get about 5,000 entries, which would give them a cool million dollars. Uh, they would then pick, among the 5,000 or so entries, one person who would receive ownership of the farm, which is valued at $600,000. Uh, this would allow them to pay off their mortgage. It would allow them to uh, set up college funds for their grandkids, uh, build a new place, or at least buy a, a place uh, more suitable for them and uh, give them a little bit of money as a, a nest egg. Uh, sounds like a great idea if they can do it. Now, the uh, the contest itself began in March. Uh, the entries must be postmarked by October 1st of this year. They have to be received by October 17th. And, you know, if you're thinking, well, maybe this sounds too good to be true, I I. I don't think that it is, to be quite honest with you. Uh, one of the reasons that the uh, the couple decided to do this, according to uh, WAMU, is that they themselves, uh, they said, probably wouldn't be able to afford the property. Uh, again, it's valued at $600,000. And they said, if we were buying today, we wouldn't be able to afford this. 
so we want to hopefully offer this up to somebody who also could not afford to buy this uh, this property, which has been a, a, a horse farm, um, but somebody who could take care of the property, someone who could, uh, who could use it, uh, and maybe build upon, uh, what is already there. Rock Spring Farm is the name of the, uh, the farm in question. 35 acres. They say more than two miles of trails designed for carriage driving, horseback riding, and hiking. In addition to the main house built in 1996, the farm consists of an income-producing two-bedroom cottage built in 2007, a late 1800s cookhouse, a five-stall horse barn, a carriage barn, a woodworking shop built in 2012 with central heating and air, a shed, a run-in, and an equipment barn. The farm has about 10 acres of open land, 25 acres of mature hardwood trees, excellent soil and water to three of the four pastures. Holy cow! That's a really good-looking farm. Uh, the person who wins... And agrees to take the property, according to the Blaze. Uh, also agrees not to develop it or sell it for at least two years. Two years? Wow. I hope you'd keep it for longer than that. Now, Randy Silver says uh, it's still heart-wrenching. He said, but the people that do win this will be following their own dreams, but also carrying on a legacy that this place has started. And, you know, having bought a home that was uh, first built in, well, first two rooms anyway, built somewhere around uh, 1776. Uh, I, I, I get that, that that uh, that carrying on of a legacy that other people have started. There is something uh, profound, I think, about moving to a a piece of land that has been worked for years and continuing uh, to ensure that that land is productive. So, you know, if you've been looking, if you've been looking for that. Uh, that opportunity, I gotta say, I mean, again, it's two hundred bucks as the uh, the entry fee, uh, but it's a six hundred thousand dollar property, and who knows, maybe your chances are uh, one in five thousand, right? The Blaze uh, mentioned, by the way, that this is they call, they said somewhat somewhat of a thing uh, to ho- host these uh, essay contests where you can win property um, in Maine. Earlier this year, the uh, Center Lovell Inn and Restaurant was uh, up for winning. The uh, The owner, Janice Sage, was retiring. She actually won the uh, in, in an uh, essay contest back in the early 90s, and uh, she's doing this contest now. Uh, worth $900,000, this bed and breakfast is up in Maine, which is uh, pretty amazing. Now, the deadline has passed on uh, that, unfortunately. Uh, if, however, Virginia doesn't uh, suit you, maybe you're thinking of uh, Alabama. Uh, Elkmont, Alabama, a 20-acre goat farm. How about that? Including 85 goats and all farm equipment, plus training during the first half of November. Wow, it's the Humble Heart Goat Dairy and Creamery. Leslie and Paul Spell are giving away their goat farm they uh, tried to sell it, apparently, but uh, they, they too, realize the people who really, really want this, the people who are passionate about this and they want to try to make it go of it, they can't afford to buy. So they decided to have this uh, contest instead. Um, 200 words or less for the essay. 
describing why you're the perfect fit to continue the farmstead goat cheese tradition. They'll pick their favorite top 20, and then three independent judges will uh, choose the the winner there. $150 entry fee uh, for that contest. Maybe if farm's not really your thing, I, I don't know why I'd be listening to this program if it's not at least somewhat your thing, but uh, you could also uh, try to win a movie theater in Gloucester, Mass., Rob Newton has uh, owned the Cape Ann Cinema and Stage. It's an art house cinema there, and uh, he's ready to step away. So you got a contest. 100 bucks, actually $99. Uh, if fewer than 500 entries are received, then the uh, entry fees will be refunded. You get a majority share in uh, Cape Ann Cinema and Stage. And uh, you get the lease for the property, all the equipment and furnishings, uh, about $150,000. Got to uh, submit that essay, why I want to own and operate a small seaside cinema. So you never... I, I had no idea this was such a thing. Um, again, I'm I'm happy where where I am. I have no desire to, uh, to, to run a small seaside cinema. Uh, I'm a little envious of the water to three of the four pastures that uh, can be found at that farm uh, a little bit closer to Washington, D.C., but uh, I'm going to stick with my 40 acres for now. But uh, I tell you what, you uh, have any desire to maybe uh, find your own space, this is a a possibility. Here's the, the one thing I wonder about this, though, and I understand what they're trying to do with the essay contest. Again, they want the people who are passionate, right? But, but passion only gets you so far. <laughs> and I understand, too, you, uh, you may be looking for people who don't have a lot of experience. But there has to be some sort of way, I would think, that uh, you want somebody who, even if they don't have the experience in running, let's say, a dairy goat operation or a bed and breakfast or a horse farm, um, they're willing to learn. They're adaptable, right? Uh, they are not just willing to learn, but they are able to learn, and they are quick to learn. There's got to be some way for uh, the folks who are uh, giving away, quote-unquote, their their properties to, I, I hope there's some way uh, to discern someone who is simply passionate and someone who is passionate and handy, <laughs> because I think it's that second qualification that's the, the passion is important. Don't get me wrong, but um, the ability to actually execute uh, is also critically, critically important. Otherwise, you're going to find two, three, four years from now, uh, the property is not going to be uh, viable. Maybe it's going to be up for sale again. Maybe there's going to be another contest. But uh, it's not going to be that long-term solution that the uh, seller, quote-unquote, was hoping for if you don't have somebody with competence who uh, takes over that property. So I, 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 I get that the essays maybe can uh, can show you who the most passionate is. I'm not sure that the essay contest is going to simply uh, be able to tell you who the most competent uh, applicant is might be for that perhaps maybe you get the you know the top 20 contest maybe the, or the top uh, 20 entries maybe the top 10 entries and maybe you have a a feats of skill competition uh to uh to to decide who wins the farm but for now that's not even a thing right all you have to do is uh communicate well write well 
express your passion and uh, your desire to have this property and to manage it well and uh, you know maybe maybe talk up your competence but apparently that's not a requirement what's required right now is passion and of course your uh, your entry fee good luck all right listen uh i'm gonna get out of here quite frankly uh i want to go hang out with my family my daughter's in town i think i mentioned that earlier and i would love to spend some time with her so thank you for spending some time with me this week here on the farm and Hope that uh, you'll be back next week for another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. In the meantime, please do check out NRA News Cam and Company each and every weekday, live 2 p.m. Eastern on nranews.com. Available again, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius XM, Patriot 125, on demand from the NRA app and through iHeartRadio. And you can download us on iTunes as well for the latest Second Amendment news and information each and every weekday. And until we talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. We'll see you here soon on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.